Hey guys, I'm your host, Nick Horowski, and welcome to another episode of the Bare Naked Health Podcast. And today I was able to speak with Stephanie Obergoso and on another conversation. So we talked a few months back and it was awesome. And it just got that much deeper uh, when we talked this time. The, the big thing, my big takeaway was just self-love, relationships. Like those are the two things we really uh, went off on a lot. Uh, I mean, there were other things like uh, just in different ways of finding strength, not necessarily like you'd think about like being uh, physically strong, but mentally strong, but emotionally strong. And, and it was it was just a great chat. Uh, Steph really opened up and just kind of poured her heart and soul into this. And you can hear it just in the way she's she's speaking. So please check it out. And, and I encourage you to sit back and listen to this, take it in, meditate on it, because there's really a lot that can be taken away from it. So please enjoy. Alrighty, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Bare Naked Health Podcast. And I have a returning guest today, Stephanie Obergoso. I didn't screw it up this time, did I? I got it right again. No, you didn't. Right. You didn't even screw it up the first time. Right. I was just making sure. Uh, she was on a couple months ago, so I'm not going to jump in with the same question I always do. We've we've been talking over the last uh, few weeks, few months, and the one that I'm really interested. Well, I mean, first of all, I guess I should ask, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing really well today. You know, I'm on what is today the 16th. I'm on um, 17th. Yeah, a little over two weeks of no coffee, which was incredibly painful for the first few days with headaches and you know all that fun stuff. But I feel like I'm really starting to regain my natural energy um, and, and listen to my body more, which leads us into you know the topics we'll be covering in this podcast. Okay, well, actually, let's dive on that for a second because the reason I want to ask is. People always are like, oh my God, yeah, how do I get off coffee without just necessarily it sucking all the time, I guess, for lack of a better term, right? Like, was there anything that you did that may have made that even a little bit easier for you? Oh, no, no. I did the stupid thing, which was quick cold turkey. <laughs> but, you know, I did it um, over the course of a weekend where I, I knew the headaches would come. And I uh -huh. knew that, like, drag in the afternoon around 2 or 3 o'clock where I just felt that really big dip in energy. And I was like, you know what? I'll take a nap if that's what's if that's what's coming. See, so um, you actually did do something about it. Though, well, that... yeah, I mean, yeah, that's true. I, mean, I planned for it. But for right. people who are starting, you know, on a certain date, or they've got work and other responsibilities, um, or maybe they're recording a podcast, and they, <laughs> they need to have their brain a little bit fresher. Um, I would say, you know, just cut the caffeine in half first, like just start to dilute it down a little bit, maybe even at a certain point, then switch over to decaf within that first week, which still is going to give you that little kick of caffeine, but definitely nothing close to what regular coffee will. Um, and then, you know, some people like to go from coffee then to tea and make that switch, but I'm just not really a tea fan. So I was like, I'm doing this, just getting off at cold turkey, but it hurt. It was painful. So what did you <laughs> learn from it then? Um, what I learned from it was that my body doesn't even always want coffee, but because I'm in love with the routine of coffee, I really do love waking up in the morning and I'm such a coffee snob. I've got my, you know, my Chemex, my pour over rig set up. If I travel, I bring my French press and my little electric tea kettle. Like it's, you know, kind of embarrassing to my boyfriend who doesn't drink coffee. And he's like, oh my, what are you doing? Like, why are you bringing all this stuff? Um, <laughs> And so much of it was about just like having that ritual and that time for myself in the morning where I'm, I'm taking the time to prepare something with a lot of love and care. Um, but then some mornings I'd be a few sips in and I'd be like, oh, like my stomach doesn't feel good or I don't really want this or I'd start sweating immediately. Like it would kick me over into sympathetic 
overdrive, which is not a really fun way to start your day, you know, being chased by the tiger from the moment that you wake up. So, um, yeah, I just learned that I don't need it. I do enjoy having it. I don't think I will ever quit drinking it completely. Um, but you know, sometimes it's good to get off those things that you rely on daily, or you're just in the habit of doing or eating and consuming and just see how your body responds to see how potentially addicted you are to it. And I think that goes to play with, we think of coffee, well, because of, uh, more of an addictive property, but we don't think about it necessarily with other foods, which certainly can be the same exact thing. Like you're saying like the morning ritual. Well, if you have the same exact thing for breakfast every day for the last 20 years of your life, I mean, yeah, your body's probably addicted to that in some form or fashion as well too. Oh, for sure. And you know, I was blending, um, I loved blending unsalted butter into my coffee because it was like my own little version of bulletproof. But uh, my body needs breaks from dairy. You know, it was just, it was time. And it was like the coffee was the carrier for the butter. And otherwise, I wasn't really using it. So once I cut the coffee out, it was really easy for me to go completely dairy free as well because I was doing um, kind of a version of the autoimmune paleo diet this month. So yeah, it's been going really well. I have to say, I, you know, it was, it was long overdue, I think, for me to cut out caffeine and some other pro-inflammatory foods. I was eating some gluten-free grains that I knew uh, weren't really agreeing with me and then definitely the dairy as well. So then does this tie into your new definition of health or is that a separate thing? Because either way, I want to dive into that. I'm curious. Oh, it definitely ties into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, let's, let's get right into that. Yeah, right. Please, I mean, please. cause that's just, that's been at the forefront of my mind. Um, you know, when it comes to my coaching practice and when it comes to finding balance in my own life. And, you know, I think if you ask different people, each person might have their own definition of what health is for them. And one thing I've really come to realize, you know, being a trainer for the past 11 years um, and, and just being immersed in this uh, health and fitness world that I think people think those two things go hand in hand, that, you know, health and fitness are the same thing. And as you probably know, Nick, you know, health and fitness, at least for me, are, are not necessarily the same thing. Because um, you see a lot of people who possess a physique or are capable of doing certain things with their bodies that would qualify them to be an extremely fit person. Or you've seen that, you know, at the gym, you see someone who's, they've got the abs, the visible abs, right? But then you see them doing a plank or some kind of core exercise, and you're like, wow, that could not look worse. <laughs> you know, like, that's not even the correct way to do that exercise. So, Interestingly, I have learned to separate those two things that, you know, fitness can be a part of health, but it isn't always. And for the people who make fitness the center of their world, it's very easy to overdo that and to push yourself into a place where you're now being really unhealthy about it. You know, the mindset is unhealthy. It becomes more of an obsession. You push yourself on days that you're tired, that your body is telling you, you know, I'm really not feeling like working out vigorously, but because it's in your program or it's in line with a, a hard and fast goal you're trying to achieve. Um, I just think it's really easy to, to push yourself over into an area where it would no longer be considered healthy. I have a, a question on that. Like, do you think it's ever, or I mean, not ever, because of course they're always going to be set. No, exceptions. never. I'm curious. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Your thoughts on pushing through something to allow your body to adapt to it. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's definitely a time and place for that. I mean, that's that's why 
you know, I'm looking at you right now and you, you, your gray shirt is um, just muddled with sweat. Right yeah. It's a little darker gray in <laughs> all the areas. So yeah, I can tell that you've been sweating. So, you know, when you're exercising, that's a necessity. You have to push yourself through a certain point of comfort into discomfort in order to grow and in order to, um, you know, attain your goals. Like you can't just sit inside your comfort zone all the time. There is going to be that point where you need to push yourself. And I think that's the hard part for people is knowing when to push and when to move forward. And when you flat out do not have the resources to push, you're running on fumes, you're giving from empty, and now you're going to push and guess what's going to happen. You're going to end up injured or you're going to end up with an illness. Um, and your body will always tell you. And I think that the more we can just listen to what our bodies are telling us, which it sounds so simple because it's like, oh, I live in this thing, you know, like it's always talking to me. But a lot of us, you know, like me with the coffee, I was tired and I was using the caffeine, which I liked as a ritual. I also like the taste of it. I love the smell of it. I also was addicted to the feeling that it gave me of like, wow, look how much energy I have now. Now I'm going to go into the gym. I'm going to kill it. But it's like, where is that energy coming from? Is that true energy that I have? Or is, are my you know, adrenal glands like excreting massive amounts of hormones to try to get me through that workout? And at the end of the day, is it worth it to me to push myself if, if the cost is going to be my health? I think that's an important factor is still learning to listen to your body and feel your body. And I wish it were easier to teach. I wish mm -hmm. even just myself, like I wish it were always probably easier for all of us to just be able to truly feel what we need uh, mm -hmm. to, to, to take away all of those uh, maybe other outside factors because we'll see it. Like I know last time we talked about something stupid on social media, some lady just going crazy. Right. But it's the same thing. Like, the, the fitness is, is always surrounding us. Like if you're anywhere on there, like there's all of this. And you, like you said, somebody might look good, but they can't do a very simple movement pattern uh, or do it effectively. Like they're breaking down. So it's really being able to feel that like, but how do you know if you necessarily haven't felt it before, how to exactly. do something properly, even like it's, it's food, it's movement, it's all of the above. Oh yeah. I mean, even like, you know, imagine like a female um, Olympic lifter you know, or a female CrossFitter or someone, maybe they are able to do that movement with excellent form. Maybe they can throw a good amount of weight up and, you know, catch it in the right position. Maybe that woman doesn't have a period anymore. You know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that we don't know, because especially on social media, people are always going to put their best face forward, right? <laughs> like you're never going to post that video of yourself trying to do a pistol squat where you totally fall on your ass at the end of it, right? You're going to post the one that looks really good. Some people are editing and doing things like that. But unfortunately, in this day and age, especially I think with younger people, they tend to take everything at face value. You know, oh, I see this woman, she's doing Olympic lifting, she has eight pack abs, she must be healthy and fit. Look how happy she is, you know? And they don't know what's happening behind the scenes, that she beats herself up for putting on, you know, an ounce of fat. And I'm not saying that that's true for all, you know, female strength athletes or well, anything just on like the good that. side, they don't see that she's been doing that for the last 20 years to get to exactly. that Exactly, like what it's taken for her to build up to that exactly. point. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and so it's just a dangerous, I mean, that's where I think social media can be really dangerous when people aren't getting the transparency, they're not getting the backstory, they don't really know what's going on. So they see an image and they make an assumption. And then based off of that, you know, sometimes we can come down really hard on ourselves and start comparing and, um, and also pushing for goals that are just 
you know, 10 steps ahead. And this was something we had discussed before is going from zero to 60 in no time at all, rather than building a strong foundation and, and respecting your body and what it takes to get a certain level of mobility and stability before, you know, going into strength and power type movements when you see all the impressive stuff that's going on on social media. So um, kind of to, to build on what you're saying, you know, I wish it was easier for people to really hear the, what your body's telling you. Um, the one thing that I would offer to anyone who's like, you know, yeah, I just like, I feel like I don't know when to push and when to hold back. And, you know, I feel like I'm always finding out the hard way that what I'm eating or the way I'm exercising or how I'm spending my time isn't the most effective is just to spend more time alone. You know, the more quiet time you have where you don't have all the distractions going on, just, you know, going for a walk, laying out in the sun, um, you know, taking your dog for a walk or even just sitting and doing nothing, not watching TV or maybe listening to relaxing music, you know, that quality time with yourself where you get to go inward, it's going to look different for everybody, right? Like I know people who love to listen to like heavy metal and they're like, yeah, that's how I, that's how I really, you know, <laughs> get down with myself. And I'm like, okay, that's you. That's cool. But it's going to look different for everyone. But I think the more we can connect to ourselves in those moments where we just create that time and space and take the time for ourselves, it's, you know, you're going to hear what's going on. You're going to feel more what's going on in your body. And from there, you can make, you know, more intelligent decisions. And at least for myself, and I want to say this because I think this is an important thing. Like that doesn't have to be the same thing every single day. That doesn't have to be this exact rigid thing either, because I've noticed, uh, like, okay, it's summertime when we're recording this, right? And it's, mornings now are just so much nicer like i get to go out like the garden's going like i get to go water my fig trees all of that kind of stuff and for me i like because i had been doing like my tai chi ruler and i was always into that and for the first part of it it was almost one of those like wow why am i not like doing like my tai chi like i feel like i have to do it but at that point it was almost like forcing myself to do it but going out back in the morning doing that it's like this is fantastic right so i think oh, it's, yeah it goes to say like that that practice, what like you said, whether it's heavy metal, whether it's going for a drive, going for a walk, I mean, any of those things, like we just have to find out and hey, if it if it feels like something else needs to be different, something else needs to be different, right? Like there's, there's, yeah. there's no reason it has to be always the same thing. Not at all. And I think it's just asking yourself, um, what do I need right now? is such a great, important question that I, a lot of us will look outside of ourselves first. You know, we might look to what other people are doing, like, oh, well, she takes power yoga after work and says that she feels so much better. So I'm going to start taking power yoga. And then, you know, that person might go to power yoga and say, I am more exhausted. Now I'm super sore. I feel worse than I did before the class. So yeah, you just have to ask yourself, what do I need right now? And, you know, that's going to look different for everyone. And just be, be honest with yourself about what you need. Because that's the other thing too, is like, I think a lot of us try to rationalize, like, what's the right thing to do? Like, you know, I'm one of those people that I'm still a, a recovering perfectionist, you know, like I, you don't want, I don't want to be wrong, you know, like, I don't want to do it wrong. Or like, what would this person have to say about that? And it's like, no, just forget that, get rid of the noise and just be quiet with yourself. And that's why I think meditation is such an important practice to have, even if it's not something you do every day, but it's something that stays in, in your life to some degree. Um, and again, meditation doesn't always have to look the same way, right? 
So yeah, just asking yourself what you need, being honest and, and being open to what it is you're going to hear. What type of meditation are you practicing right now? Uh, I levitate. So I just, yeah, like I sit in full Lotus with my arms behind my back and then I just float off the ground. It's like pretty easy. I mean, I've only been doing it for like a week, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, well, let's see. I went for a float over the weekend, which is, um, it was, it's, it very much was. Um, but you know, it was interesting because last year I had a really solid meditation practice and that was. Um, for me, it was a seated meditation. I used mala beads, like the prayer beads, and I would say mantras, um, some in Sanskrit, some just things that I would make up. Other times it would be completely silent. Other times it might be a little bit of music. Um, and I did that for about nine months solid and then just kind of fell off around the holidays. But what I noticed in this time around, because I haven't done a float in, gosh, since I was living in California, so it's definitely been over seven months, um, and I just felt myself like so restless. Like I was like bouncing off the walls of the the float tank. I kept like playing with the lights because this was a really cool <laughs> float chamber where there was like a starry night ceiling. Like you just push a button, all these like, yeah, it was really cool. But I was just like, wow, this is interesting that I'm not getting into that deep, uh, I believe it's the theta wave brain brainwave, like right before you fall asleep, that's extremely restorative and meditative. And I just felt like I was trying to distract myself the whole time. So for me, that's a sign that I'm too, I'm, I'm still too busy, like too busy in my mind, too busy in my life. And a lot of that is circumstantial. I just like, it just so happened that I was really free last month. And this month, just everything's kind of all happening at once. And I just have a lot going on. Um, but like anything else, you know, it's a practice just to quiet down, to try to disconnect from everything and give myself that time where I'm not thinking about what's next. It's hard to do. It's definitely hard to do. I'm curious because I've talked to other people who have done, okay, so we talked a little bit about like using THC last time, right? Mm -hmm. Now, you said like recently you had stopped using that then, correct? Yeah. Okay. I did. Couple part question to this. Have you used it in the float tank before? And or like, does, do you see that some of that as being part of this where it's like, okay, that maybe was artificially helping you to immediately calm down or something like that? Like, do, do you see that kind of playing a part in, in some of the craziness and or being able to find stillness, if you will? Oh, yeah, that's that's a really great question. So um, I do have friends who like to indulge in things like mushrooms and THC while in the float tank. The thought of it just absolutely terrifies me. So no, I have never never used it. Um, if anything, I might've had some CBD like oil in my system, which, you know, has no psychoactive effects. So no to THC in the float tank, but, um, I would say hardcore. Yes. To using very small amounts of THC to, to check out to the point that I didn't have to try to relax. Like with meditation, ask anybody who's never done it before and have them like sit down and try to relax their (laughs) muscles, focus on their breathing. It's just like, try not to think about anything or try to let the thoughts float by and don't get over-focused on on any of it. It's extremely hard, right? And what I knew was that if I pop three milligrams of of an edible, in one hour, I'm gonna start to feel the effects and it's almost like a meditative mindset setting in, but I didn't have to try or do anything to achieve that. So at certain moments, it was really useful because I'd get home late from work and I'd be on and I'm like, okay, I wanna get to bed at a reasonable hour. 
you know, and, and this is going to take a lot of time for me to wind down if I try to do this um, in a completely entirely drug free and natural way. So I would have the edible and I'd be like, cool, I feel great. And, you know, it's interesting because I, I'm still working, I would say, on freeing myself of the judgment from that. Because, you know, I feel like it's so ingrained in a lot of our minds who did like the D.A.R.E. program when you, when you were a kid, D.A.R.E. to keep <laughs> kids off drugs. It's like you just think about drugs all being bad, right? Like I live very close to the area in Vancouver where people have needles sticking out of their arms and they're all shooting up heroin. And so, you know, that's a very different kind of drug than plant medicine, in my opinion, or than doing like three milligrams of THC in an evening to relax. But there's still a part of my my psyche that's like, you know, that's that's bad. Like you shouldn't use that. And it's just interesting to try to pull myself away from from the judgment of it and know that honestly, for myself, there are going to be times where that is going to be my choice. It's gonna be, I have two hours to wind down and get to bed. I'm gonna use a little bit of this edible. But when it gets to the point like it was, where I was no longer taking it for medicinal reasons, like it became fully recreational for me. That was the point at which I said, I'm going to stop a because I want to know that I can and that I'm not going to, you know, suddenly have major anxiety attacks or something like that. Um, And after the first night when I stopped, I had dreams for the first time in a really long time, which was an indication that I was getting a higher quality sleep. So that became my motivation for like, well, I don't need this. So why am I taking it? Oh, I'm taking it because of routine, habit, familiarity, and quite frankly, laziness, you know, of not taking the time to do the thing, not not scheduling my day properly or doing the things that I would need to do to wind down naturally. So, yeah, it's very it was a very interesting insight to have, you know, about my own quote unquote vice. So it sounds though similar. I mean, similar just to the coffee, right? Where it's a lot of the things you said, I think for both of those very, very similar to me. And as a society, we'll look at one of those and we'll be like, okay, yeah, coffee, whatever. And then you look at any type of marijuana on the other hand, and it's like, it's this completely taboo drug. It's like, well, it's all kind of on a sliding spectrum, really. Like you right. were having equal effects. Uh, it, it, you, you, each of those was affecting you positively, but also negatively. And, and one is completely legal. The other one it's legal depending where you are, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I could argue either way, you know, of which one was harming me more. Because with the caffeine in my system, I was pushing myself to work out harder than I actually, you know, had in me to work out. Um, And that was carrying over to all areas of my life where I was potentially pushing myself too hard. It's like, how long do you have to do that before something's going to give? You know, and so I'm just I'm happy that I was able to I'm happy that I was able to support myself enough to just stop and say, look, you don't need this stuff. Like nothing terrible is going to happen. You're going to feel like crap for a few days, or it might take you a little longer to wind down at night. But it's important to me going back to my definition of health is finding balance, you know, and where was I out of balance, you know, winding myself up too much in the mornings so I could get through my day. And then I don't want to say dumbing myself down, but like really suppressing that energy and that cortisol in the evening Um, to try to relax. And so it was just silliness. It was like, yeah, I'm doing two different kinds of drugs every single day. Um, And I'm saying that uh, to the best of my ability without judgment, not being like, I'm doing drugs so bad, you know, but they are drugs. (laughs) Caffeine is a drug. Marijuana is a drug. So, you know, it it alters your 
state of consciousness. Um, and so, yeah, I, and not to say I'm never going to use either of those things again, but right now I'm just feeling good without it. So how does that play into, we talked about even just like some of the forgiveness, like for yourself, for others, like, cause that has to be a huge part of it, I think. Very much so. Yeah. Um, forgiveness was something I was really excited to, to talk about because I feel like it's been such a huge part of my growth process and of my journey from where I was to where I am now. And, and I, what I've come to realize is that, you know, whenever I'm working with someone uh, who has some sort of health challenge, you know, whatever that health challenge is, if it's a body shape challenge, if they've got anxiety, depression, um, disordered eating, gut problems, um, a lot of times, like when I'm speaking to people, I think this is just very common, and that's what creates this internal manifestation of, of illness or dis-ease, is that we're, we tend to be really hard on ourselves, right? So it's like, it's almost like we're willing to forgive like other people, like, oh, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, but it's very hard for us to forgive ourselves sometimes for the, for the roles that we play in certain things and also for the way we talk to ourselves and the way that we treat ourselves. You know, if you take someone who's overweight, for example, who overeats food that they know isn't healthy for them or is contributing to more weight gain, um, you know, they, they'll use language like, I feel so guilty, I'm so bad, I cheated, or they'll be completely dishonest in their food diary because there's so much shame and guilt associated with this behavior. Yet, you know, getting stuck in that feeling of kind of like hating yourself or just um, feeling that guilt and shame is not conducive. I mean, it's important to feel that because that is a, a very strong emotion that's underlying a lot of these actions. It is important to feel that, but I think a lot of us can get stuck in that cycle of feeling that. And then when we start to feel bad, what's gonna make us feel better? Ice cream, so here we go again. You know, the cycle starts all over again. And so I think that forgiveness is such an important practice to work on. It is a practice, you know, to forgive other people where we feel wronged and to forgive ourselves. And I think it's the thing that needs to happen continually. Because, you know, I look back on certain things that have happened in my life and I have said, you know, I've worked through a lot of this stuff. I mean, sexual assault and things that really at one point in my life paralyzed me. Like I felt like I just could not move forward. I felt like I was going over and over in my mind about certain things that had happened and ways that I should have handled it differently. And, you know, doing the whole pointless thing of trying to go back in time and change something that's already done and happened. Um, and I feel like I've, I've worked through a lot of it and I've gotten to a point where I've said, yes, I forgive this person. But then there will be moments, maybe even years later, where a memory will come up and I'll feel anger again and I'll feel resentment and I'll feel disappointment. I'll feel guilt and I'll feel shame. And it's like I have to go through the practice of forgiveness all over again, you know, for that other person and for myself. So I guess you could ask the question, did I really forgive this other person or did I really forgive myself in those moments where I was feeling at peace with it, or if I had truly forgiven, would it not be coming up again? I know that's like a really well, I'm curious <laughs> kind of deep, deep question there. Is it, is it the exact same level? Like, is it the same feeling? And, and I have no idea. It's one of those, I, I, I would just be curious to say like, okay, I mean, weird thing to say, like on a scale of zero to 10, 
uh, maybe started off at a 10 and now it's down to seven, like each time it comes up and then it goes to a six. Like, yeah, is it something like that? Or is it, I don't know, is that still going to be like an ultimate trigger? Maybe who knows? Yeah, I mean, it's, I think that that's pretty normal, you know, to feel triggered um, by past events. And I, I do think personally that it's possible to forgive and to still feel negative emotions attached to certain experiences, you know? Um, and that's a great thing that you just brought up is like every time, you know, it seems to be less and less. Um, but is that just a mask for having to do the work all over again, you know, to be like, no, no, I'm over it. No, I already dealt with this. Cause I think that's a common thing too, is that we, you know, we have these emotional breakthroughs, um, and then we, we feel all the emotions and we get to a place where it's really cathartic and we feel like we've overcome these difficult things in our lives and then we feel better. And so, you know, it's easy to say, well, I've done the work. And for me, it's just been, sometimes I have to do the work over and over again. And I think it goes back to just being honest with yourself, you know, and it may not, it might come up and you might be honest with yourself and say, I think I still have more work to do around this, but right now is not the time. You know, it's not, I, I have to, you know, I'm going to allot some time to really reflect on this and go back and see what comes up at that point. Um, but yeah, I just feel like forgiveness is such a huge part of learning how to love yourself because I don't think we're all, you know, born into these tribes where we're just taught, you know, how to be adults and how to love and care for ourselves and give from a cup that's full as opposed to, you know, give from empty. Um, and so forgiveness is just a really important practice that I think we could, we could all benefit from practicing more often. Well, how does that tie into the learning how to love? Like, cause, cause that's gotta be the two go hand in hand. I mean, forgiving, but learning how to love yourself. Like, where do you see, uh, that fitting in or, and, or how do you cultivate that maybe for yourself to, to, to start with even? Well, compassion, I think, is such a a huge part of that forgiveness, because when you have compassion, like if you think about having compassion for someone else, which is usually easier for people to do than have compassion for themselves, at least right off the bat, um, that means that you understand. It means you understand that person. You understand and you're able to have empathy for that person. And so learning how to love yourself, you know, a a lot of people I talk to, uh, men and women, I would say. Um, when we start to go deeper, you know, beyond the the diet and the exercise and we go deeper, there's a lot of that, the guilt, the shame, the blaming of themselves for certain things and getting stuck at that level and feeling like a lot of the choices they make are not taking them in the direction they want to go in because they're really busy hating themselves and playing out their lives the way that the negative voice in their head is telling them, you know, you're not good enough. You always do this. You're just going to screw up this nutrition plan. You're going to stop going to the gym. Something's going to happen. You know, like they listen to that negative voice and then they they live that out. That becomes their reality. And I think when when a negative thought comes up about ourselves that is really damaging and limiting um, to say to ourselves, you know, to try to just work to understand it as if you're talking to another person, you know, okay, well, why, why do I eat ice cream every night? You know, oh. I'm lonely. I'm lonely. And I feel sad that I'm lonely. But it's really hard for me to think about 
having a social life and talking to new people and meeting people and maybe even asking someone out on a date, you know what's easier? Walking to the freezer and eating a pint of ice cream, which I know is going to get my endorphins going. And guess what? I knew I was going to do it anyway. So it plays into me feeling like I'm not worthy, like I'm not good enough, like I'm never going to you know, take that next step. But I think once we can identify the reason, like why do we do what we do? There's always a reason behind it. And if we can practice identifying the reason and detaching that from judgment of like, you know, oh, you're such a screw up, you know, but just like I eat ice cream every night because I feel lonely and because temporarily eating ice cream makes me feel better. All right. Now we've identified that it's easier for us to understand our behavior and why we do what we do. And once we understand it, then it becomes easier to say, well, this is not a pattern that I want to live out for the rest of my life. I want to do something to change this. So at that point, you know, asking for help is a really great thing to do. Either talking to a friend um, or a family member and letting them know what you're struggling with. Maybe you hire a coach or someone who's going to keep you accountable with your diet if that's really where you're struggling. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that the forgiveness, learning how to have compassion for ourselves, learning how to understand our our ourselves and still love ourselves fully anyway. You know, we're not bad people for doing what we do. You know, it's like, it's just human nature and it's emotions that drive us to do these things. And so just understanding ourselves and being able to move on from there is just a, such a huge step of it's showing yourself love. You know, I love you enough that I'm not going to sit here and bully you and make you feel like crap and live out these unhealthy patterns. I love you enough to take the time to understand you and then let's figure out what we can do instead to move you out of this place. Why do you think we become so reliant on a, a, a lot of times food for that replacement for self-love, if you will? Because it's good. Because <laughs> it's there. It's there. It's good. And it sends off a cascade of, uh, you know, just a hormonal cascade. Like it sets off all those endorphins. We know we're going to feel good. It's satisfying one of our most primitive and basic needs, right, for survival. We need sustenance. Um, unfortunately, you know, you're not going to go out and hunt and gather and find some like, oh, here's a few tart wild berries and I found a couple nuts on the ground. And then I also slayed a deer and now I've got some very nice wild game to cook. We just walk to the fridge and everything is just, uh, or the store and it's packaged and it's loaded with the deadly combination of sugar, fat, and salt that just makes us want to eat incessantly because, you know, for survival reasons, you want to put on as much weight as possible. So that's another thing I think people need to have compassion for themselves about that desire to overeat um, foods that are quote unquote unhealthy or overeat sweets. Um, you know, that's, that's how your brain is hardwired. That's not you being a screw up in life. That's just like what we're supposed to do. Because if you could pack on more fat, you're more likely to survive through the harsh winter. So it's, that's why I think like, I love pointing people towards certain nutrition books that aren't just eat this, don't eat that, but it really gives the, the background as to like, you know, how we came to be this way throughout evolution and why, why we crave certain things. And then people can say, oh, okay, so there's science to back this up and I don't have to sit here blaming myself the whole time because I feel out of control with food. What are your favorite ones to point to? Um, I do like Primal Body, Primal Mind. It is, it, it was, um, Norica Gaudis's first book, uh, 
about the ketogenic diet, which I know, you know, it's very controversial. And I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm a, a proponent of the ketogenic diet for everyone, because that simply is not true. Um, but she also has a second book out called Primal Fat Burner. That's really amazing. Uh, it starts with food by Dallas and Melissa Hartwig, the founders of Whole30. That's a really great, um, I would say like very basic one, like super easy to read that I have referred a lot of clients to. And I am currently in the middle of The Plant Paradox by Dr. Stephen Gundry, which has been really fascinating about certain foods that people think are healthy um, that are wreaking havoc you know, on their gut and in their bodies leading to weight gain and disease and all kinds of things. So that's definitely another one I would recommend. It's fun. Okay. So I want to say a couple things on that because, well, actually, no, first thing I wanted to just say, there's also a book called salt, sugar, fat, which I think is so ironic mm. based on just what you said. Like, it's funny. Those three just come together, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> but, uh, okay. I read Dr. Gundry's book. Uh, I feel like in January or something like that. It was at the beginning of the year. And, then I also heard some people talking about it and it's got me thinking like, sure, a lot of those things are, they, they do have foods, basically anti-nutrients, if you, whatever you want to call it. Like it's going to be pro tough for us to process, but we go back to talking about exercise before and using it basically as a hermetic stressor where it's like, okay, mm -hmm. sure, it's going to break us down a little bit, but in a good way. And that's where I think about like certain foods. Now I agree with them for the most part, like most of those probably should be avoided, but I don't want th people to think like, all food is all foods that we think are healthy like they're still causing like a, a small amount of like damage like they're boosting our immune systems like they're causing these other things uh so to have that like in perspective i think is a very important factor for it as well oh definitely i mean that that reminds me of the the section where he's talking about why unless you have celiac disease going 100% gluten free isn't a great idea for most people, because you're going to kill off the gut bugs that help you to break down gluten. And then when you accidentally have an exposure or you eat it, the, you know, the aftermath is horrible. And I mean, I've experienced that personally, where I thought that was what I needed to do. Um, and then I would get a, an accidental gluten exposure, and it would feel like I had food poisoning for three days. And I'm thinking, well, I grew up eating bread and pasta. And granted, I was not a healthy child, I was quite overweight. Um, but you know, I don't remember having those types of like IBS reactions and things. So yeah, it's, I, that's why I think it's important, because a lot of people want to skip the the part of the book that explains his whole theory and they want to jump right into like just tell me what to eat and what not to eat and he's like okay that's fine like if you want to start there but you know he's imploring people to read the science behind it to really understand why he's recommending this you know so-called crazy diet but yeah you know back to definition of health it's how you feel and it's for me it's about balance you know i i love there's a japanese taco shop downtown here in vancouver I love it so much. I love it so much. And I know <laughs> there's like tons of fried food and they do like a gluten-free tempura and everything, which, you know, still gluten-free or not, it's still not going to be the healthiest thing in the world. But it brings me so much joy and I love going there and I love having that. But I know when I can have it and I can afford to do that, meaning I'm not going to suffer bad gut reactions, skin reactions, things like that. Um, and I also know when I'm sort of like, at my breaking point or at my tipping point where it's like, you know what, I'm going to cook at home tonight. So it's just all about finding that balance. And I think that especially is true with food because it's so easy, especially for people in our industry to go overboard and really get just anal about food. And I know that for certain people with certain health conditions, it's a necessity. 
but for the average, you know, person or the healthy normal, is it really important to be that restrictive or is that now becoming like a, a mental distraction obsession and a way for you to check out and not live the rest of your life? I don't remember. Does he talk about in there um, like how often you should do that kind of thing? Like to use it as uh, like a hormetic stressor, like to be able to at least ward off some of those things. He probably does. I'm, I'm, I'm at the point right now where he's just talked about the three day cleanse to get into the program. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming at the end it will just say, yeah, definitely work some lectin heavy foods back into your diet. But, you know, listen to your body and see how you respond. If you have a big tomato salad and you feel fine, you know, hey, you're doing well. So but if you have it and you start your joints start to hurt and your skin goes crazy and your, your bowels are going nuts then um, that's an indication that more healing needs to occur in the gut first. It was funny. I, we're coming up. I mean, just the other day I had my first ripe tomatoes, right? Like out of the garden. And uh. so it's by the end of August, I'm absolutely sick of tomatoes, but I never noticed before. Like I never correlated it before, um, before like January when I read the book, cause he talks about like the tomato seeds, the tomato skins mm-hmm. uh, and having those being potential irritants. And I'd see that. Okay. I'd go poop and like after a couple days, like or a couple weeks of eating that, just basically tomatoes every day with something, mm. I'd start seeing like it show up more and more. I'm like, mm. what the hell? But no big deal because then by mid-September, like it's all gone and I didn't think of it anymore. But it was one of those, I just never put the correlation together because I didn't really necessarily feel any negative, Ill, like ill effects. But I started noticing like, I'm not breaking that down anymore. Like yeah. what's going on here? So that was yeah. one of the eye-opening foods for me where it's like, this year, it's like, okay, probably going to do a little bit more to process them, to be able to have them throughout the year, like mm-hmm. take the seeds, take the skins off so that really I don't have a problem, but I can still enjoy them the rest of the time then too. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think like not enough people look at their poop. And and I think that sometimes people think that I just like want to be gross when I ask them <laughs> about it. I'm like, no, I'm not, I don't have some like weird fetish. Like this is a part <laughs> of the intake process because it does say so much about your health. And, um, and also like just as advice for anyone who is looking to change their diet in some way, shape or form, that they know what they're doing isn't working for them for whatever reason. Um, I always encourage people to learn the science behind why you would want to avoid certain foods, because that becomes a very strong motivator. You know, like I had heard a long time ago, nightshades, you know, can cause joint pain in people and things like that. And I'm like, well, I don't really have like you know, I don't really have joint pain. And then I would notice I'd eat eggplant and my stomach would just get really bloated. Like I love baba ganoush. Baba ganoush doesn't love me. So I would eat it. I'd get really bloated. And I would think, well, oh, I just like ate too much of it. But after listening to the plant paradox and hearing all he has to say about nightshades and lectins, and I was like, okay, that's for me, the reason I'm going to go out of my way to now avoid these things for a certain period of time. Because I know that if I'm having those things regularly, it is going to do further damage to my gut. It's going to, you know, I'm going to have less energy and I'm going to feel less good to do the things that I really enjoy doing. So um, I think that that is a really big part of sticking to any kind of nutrition challenge or something where you're trying to avoid certain foods that are hard for you to avoid. Yeah, it's funny. I I had heard so much talk about uh, just like nightshades in general. And I felt like this book detailed it so well and like you said the actually reading the entire thing and like getting that understanding of it whereas before i'd heard it and i mean i've heard it 
probably a million and one times, right? But it didn't necessarily sink in. And for some reason, this book did that for me. So I really do appreciate what he's sharing w- with it as well. Definitely. And, you know, it's hard to, um, I've talked to a lot of people who are like, oh, now this is the new diet. You know, first it was paleo and then it was keto and now it's the plant paradox. And it's like, okay, but, you know, at a certain point we have to just accept that we're constantly finding out new things, right? We're learning new things. And it doesn't mean you got to take it all and run with it and treat it as gospel, but to be open to the information that's coming in, some of the stuff might register and might connect some dots for you that maybe have not, you haven't put those pieces together ever. Like you've kind of known little bits and pieces here. So it's just, that's what I'm trying to do is just be open to this. It's like, I'm not going to be the next, you know, plant paradox diet guru with all of my coaching clients. But it is something I'm going to factor in, especially if people are dealing with autoimmune issues or um, blood sugar regulation issues, gut issues and things like that, which, you know, if I'm honest, is almost everyone. (laughs) But talking about like, okay, we're coming up all this new research, yada, 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 right? Well, the same goes for us. Like we should be doing basically this research on ourselves and finding out, well, there's a reason maybe keto works for you. There's a reason paleo works for you. There's a reason the plant paradox or whatever the iteration of it is, finding out why that works for you and or why that works for you for the next three months, six months, but why doesn't it work for you a year from now and why you do have to be continually checking in with yourself too. Yeah, and and not identify so much with certain things because, um, I mean, I've even been you know accused of this as well because uh, last year, Bob and I led a ketogenic nutrition reset online where we coached people um, into effective ketogenic adaptation. And we had like an autoimmune version of it where it wasn't what I call dirty keto, which is where people are living off of cheese and nuts and pro-inflammatory foods that are, just have a really high fat content. Um, but actually but like- it doing, sounds delicious, come on. Oh, and it, it is delicious, except <laughs> after like a week, they're like, I haven't shit in five days. <laughs> they're just like a block of cheese. Like it's just a block of cheese stuck in their intestines. Um, but you know, sometimes then people will then lump me in and say like, oh, but you're all about keto. And I'm like, I did a ketogenic diet once in my life. It worked extremely well for me because I was getting over SIBO. And basically I felt like I had starved out a lot of the bacteria that was fermenting the carbohydrates that was causing a lot of my gut issues. But I have tried to get back into ketosis several times after that. And my body always says, no, it's not right for me. I always feel so unwell in that first period that I'm just like, you know what, this feels like I, a kind of keto flu that I'm not willing to go through. And to be honest, if I were to ever do it again, I would probably rely on exogenous ketones. I would probably do it dirty. I, I don't mean to say dirty because I have friends who like, you know, take that stuff. I'm not saying that the supplements themselves are dirty, but I'm just saying, you know, I had always been of the mindset, like if you're going to do the ketogenic diet, do it the right way, you know, use real food because this is medicinal and, and you can use this for medicinal purposes. So just do it the right way. At least learn how to do it the right way. Get the meter, make sure you're actually in a state of ketosis and then maybe, you know, think about supplementing with other things. Um, but you know, it's been a really big lesson for me over the past couple of years to check in with myself and make sure that I'm not getting too identified with any of the things that I'm doing, whether that be, you know, kettlebell sport or, um, you know, whole 30 diet or autoimmune paleo type diet or being a hundred percent gluten free. That has been one of the biggest things for my own personal growth is just to detach myself and say, I'm not going to be right 
all the time about everything. And sometimes I'm going to have to flat out say that I was wrong. Something that I thought was true, maybe I come to find out that it's not. But I don't need to shame myself and still put myself in that camp because I feel identified with the people who agree with me. It, it, does that make sense, sort of, like what I'm saying? about? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, just because I feel like it's so easy to um, to get stuck in a certain type of mindset, like this is the kind of training that everybody needs to be doing. I just started working at a strength and conditioning facility um, last week, and I have to say the coach who owns that facility, her name's Monica Marks, it's called Marks Conditioning, she cleaned up my deadlift and has corrected like so many movement patterns because, you know, Coaches need coaches too. We can't always see ourselves. You don't know what's going on there. And so I had been doing things a certain way and I'm like, yeah, I just have this chronic, you know, right psoas, QL, um, SI joint issue going on. I saw the osteopath she has there. You know, we've been doing some Eldoas and throwing in different things. I'm learning hard style, um, you know, like Russian kettlebell swings versus the sports style swing that I'm more used to. And I could feel the resistance in myself at first. Like I wanted to, part of me like wanted to defend the things that I felt like I was doing well, the things that I thought I knew. And I just made a conscious decision to like, just let go because this is a beautiful opportunity for me to learn and for me to grow. And so if I, the more I hold on to what I think I know, whether it be about, you know, nutrition, exercise, anything else for that matter, the less space there is going to be in my mind for me to entertain new ideas and learn new methodologies and things that could potentially really help me and my clients or students grow. So that has just been such a big thing for me lately of just detaching, not overly identifying with any one thing and really listening. You know, that is something that I, I felt like I had never been a good listener in the past. I was one of those people that was constantly preparing like, okay, what am I going to say next sort of thing? Or I would hear what someone said, like, yeah, 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 I hear you. But like, in my mind, there was always a refutation coming, because I don't know, like, it just kind of felt like I had to stand my ground, you know, and now I'm just like, I, I just like open myself and I try to just absorb as much as possible and just do my best to to listen and ask questions and get really curious about um, different ways of doing things. And I've just I've learned so much just by making that decision. When you said that, now I'm thinking all, all this going through my head is, well, wait, what should really, what what really should I ask next? Because oh, we're well, I already, I have a question for you. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Go this ahead. Is, I, I'm going to read you something. Um, I'll give you a, a clue, and I want you to tell me what product you think the the script from this commercial is attached to. Are you okay. ready to play? Yeah. Okay. Ready, Nick? Here we yeah. go. We live in a tough world, but while the toughest may survive, it's the softest who thrive. Softness isn't weak, it's powerful. It's helping those who need it most. And sometimes it's the softest touch that heals the hardest. So let's redefine what softness means. Let's show the world the power of softness. Can you guess what product that was attached to? Just because we were talking about it before, I'm going to say like a poop. So like a laxative of some sort to uh, not be constipated. That's a very good guess, but it was actually, do you have a second guess? It wasn't that. It's not a laxative. Uh, no, that was what popped into my head first. That's all you so got. That's all I got. All you got is just a poop reference. It was actually a Wonder Bread commercial. 
It was a Wonder Bread commercial. Yeah. So here, let me just explain this. So I'm washing dishes and the TV's on in the background and I start hearing this and I'm like, it's just resonating with me. I'm like, oh my God, the strength of softness. Yes. Vulnerability. Like I'm putting all these puzzle pieces together and I'm like, what is this? And I turn around and it's just like the, you know, the three dot Wonder Bread. I'm like, (laughs) are you serious? This was a freaking like GMO white bread commercial. But anyway, the reason I'm bringing this up, because you're probably like, why are we talking about Wonder Bread, is that it has taken me so many years to get to a point where I feel comfortable softening in order to grow. Because ever since I was, you know, I was that teenager that I got my nose pierced when I was 14, tongue pierced when I was 15, first tattoo when I was 15. I would bleach my hair in the bathroom at my parents' house and just dye it green and blue. And I mean... I drilled holes in the Doc Martens and that I wore to high school and I screwed in those tiny little spikes and I would like walk around threatening <laughs> guys that if they messed with me, I would kick them in the nuts with my spiked Doc Martens. Gee, do you think I had something to prove? <laughs> so this is the type of kid that I was like, I started taking private boxing lessons when I was 15. I felt like I needed to have this tough girl uh, look to myself in order to like prove that I was strong. But really what that was, was I was masking an incredible level of sensitivity, vulnerability, um, immaturity. There was just like a really scared little girl in there basically that I had to like show the world the opposite. And I'm like, Oh, look, I'm fooling everybody. Right. And I mean, I feel like I kind of carry that mentality throughout. Like I felt like I've always had to hold my own. Maybe it comes from being a petite female and sometimes like feeling like people don't take you as seriously. Um, But once I recognized that that was my pattern and that it wasn't serving me to constantly feel like I was at war with the world and with like it wasn't just the world against me. And I was able to really kind of soften my conviction about, you know, coaching and about all these other things, I have found a new level of strength in softening up and being able to listen and take in more rather than constantly give and refute and debate and dispute. Whoa, that was a rhyme. It's pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) Lyrics for a new song. Um, But yeah, anyway, this all ties together. So I just really wanted to bring that up that, you know, a lot of times in our minds, you know, acting tough and doing things that are tough and like not showing our emotions, people think that that's what strength is. But some of the strongest people I've seen are the ones who have been willing to get real with their emotions and let what's really there come out and not worry about what other people have to think uh, think or say, but they're, they're really willing to just like go their own way do what needs to be done in order for them to grow. And it has been a lesson that has been so hard for me to learn, but I feel like over the past few years, that has really launched me with my own personal growth and allowed me to have more of this mentality of like, yeah, of course there's a lot of stuff that I feel I'm very skilled at things that I think that I know. Um, And you know what? There's a hell of a lot more that I don't know. And I'm never going to learn any of those things. I'm never going to open myself up enough for anyone to teach me those things unless I soften my conviction, let go of the attachments that I have to who I think I am and what I think I know in order to learn something new and to invite 
a new consciousness and some new information and a new awareness to come into my being. So um, that was something I, that I felt was really important to touch upon because a lot of a lot of these podcasts that I've done have been very informational. You know, it's very much about certain things that have to do with diet and and lifestyle and do this, don't do that, like tips and things. And I'm not saying those things aren't useful, but right. this was it's something- It still is an important factor for it all, absolutely. Very important, and there's so much of that floating around right now that what I really felt inspired to share was something that was more personal to me and something that really helped me to grow because I know in the past, there have been certain stories or people that I've heard tell their story that it clicked for me and it just, it helped me to blossom. And so that's just really what I'm hoping to do and hoping to inspire maybe even one listener out there who says, Hey, yeah, that really makes sense. That really makes sense to me. And Steph, I really appreciate that because I think it's, it's about each of our stories, right? I, I, I mean, everybody has that story, but realizing that one story can help another story can help another story like that's so cool to see and and i i just appreciate that and i think a lot of people do as well so thank you for sharing that because you're right and, and i think it's important to talk about oh we talked about like the coffee the thc and okay yes good bad like we could look at all the statistics on that talking about dr gundry's book like it's going to lay out like all of hey this does this this does this but realizing how that affects an individual is so cool i think at least yeah for sure i mean that's why i do love um coaching people one-on-one -on -one because i feel like you can go you can go so deep you know in a one-on-one in -on -one environment whereas in a group setting it's it's harder to go that deep and for group like exercise i think that's fantastic um but i just feel like we're all so unique and individual and we all have our own story and our own history and that is going to really affect how certain things play out you know that's going to affect how certain diets play out that's going to affect everything and so to be able to go deeper into one person and be able to help them you know create something that's going to be specific to them and then kind of help shape and mold that as things move along rather than put somebody into a protocol like oh you know this is the, pro now we're at step one, step one, everybody does this. And step two, everybody does this. And some people work well that way with that kind of structure. Um, but yeah, it is going to be very highly individual to each person. This has been an awesome chat. So <laughs> I, I just, I, I want to let you know, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate what you had to share. Like you said, I think it's that vulnerability and, and sharing hey, what's going on and like how everything has affected you. Um, but let us know, like, hey, where can everybody, if they're if they're looking to get a hold of you, I mean, we are talking about the coaching or just, hey, anything else that you're sharing, whether it's videos, blogs, anything like that, uh, where can they check you out, find out what's going on? Uh, well, I do have some, some projects coming up, um, but I would say in the meantime, people can visit me at my website, which is stephanieo.com, and that's Stephanie with an F, and they can find me on Facebook and Instagram and uh, get in touch that way. And I do, you know, free consultations over Skype or FaceTime, um, and I'm, I'm happy to do that. So if anyone would like to book that, they can just do that through the website. Can you give us any insight on what might be coming out soon? Uh, not at the moment. Right. I had to check. I had to check. <laughs> not, not just yet, but, um, but hopefully soon. Yeah. All right. So, so, there if, you go. so everybody we... go over to the website to, or to like the, the, the Facebook, the socials, uh, check out so you can get the updates, right? 
Yeah, definitely. And, you know, if we do have an opportunity to connect at a future date, um, you know, I would love to even go, go deeper with all of this stuff. Because I feel like today, you know, we still we touched on a lot of things, and we kind of just skimmed the surface of it. But I think what's like the really compelling and fun and interesting stuff is just to dive deeper into that. So that means Um, everybody has to stay tuned for part three. Stay tuned for part three. Part one was just a warm up. Part two will hopefully give you some good stuff to work with. And part three is where we get crazy. Look out. We're, we're taking a <laughs> rocket ship ride. Yeah, there we go. Awesome stuff. Thank you again so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Nick. Hey guys, and thank you for listening to the Bare Naked Health Podcast. If you want to support the show, please head over to iTunes, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, give a five-star rating, positive comment. This really helps other people find this show uh, or just share it with your friends. Uh, Hopefully they can get something out of it too. But thank you very much and look forward to talking to you soon.